share with you. My wife was very gracious in that uh, Christmas time I got a, a gift to go golfing at Portland Golf Course with a cart, 18 holes. And yesterday I got to enjoy that. So yesterday I took out my friend Mr. Gaudi over there and uh, not quite sure what hole it was, 13 or 14. It's a par 3. 170-something yards, okay? We both hit our tee shot long. We both went past the green, up into the rough. And as we approached the green, um, we're looking at the green, and the green looked like it was sloped like this. And the, and the hole was down at the bottom of this, and our, and our ball was up in this rough that was like five, six inches high. And uh, we both said, man, there's no way we're making par here. For those that don't understand golf, we have to get that in the hole in three shots. We already took one shot. And I opened my big mouth. I said, Jeff, you par this hole from where he was. He was even farther than I was. I said, I'll stand on the pulpit tomorrow and tell, you, tell everybody you're the greatest golfer I've ever played with. <laughs> you don't ever do that. As Jeff approached his second shot, I actually was praying as it was going towards the hole that it would go in. Because if it was a birdie, I wouldn't have to say anything. And unfortunately, he missed it by this much, tapped it in for par. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jeff is the greatest golfer I've ever golfed with. <laughs> Never inviting you again, but, uh, but hey, it was fun while it lasted. So. Um, this is kind of an uh, interesting morning for me here in that um, I don't know if anybody else experiences that when you, for me, um, the, the Lord has blessed me in the sense that I get to speak a lot, um, and when you speak a lot, there's a lot of things that you have to study, um, and when you're studying a lot of different things, um, and you can always pray for me, and it's, it's very little time that I have to just study for myself, um, things that I want to just um, learn of God, and, and, and this particular uh, portion actually um, is something that the Lord laid in my heart um, over a year ago. And, and I can't get away from it. Um, the Lord just keeps bringing me back to this. And, and, um, and so when I knew I was speaking today and that, and that I could speak on whatever I wanted to, again, um, I just felt kind of like the, the, the prodding of the Holy Spirit there to say, hey, listen, you know, uh, share, share what's on your heart here. But I don't know. Sometimes when you get up here, you feel like I, I'm not going to be able to impart to you what God has shown me here. Um, I was listening to a message recently uh, from a speaker, and it was interesting. He goes, listen, the, 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 the ministry of preaching is a failing ministry. <laughs> I thought that was interesting, is that, one, you're going to forget 90% of what I'm going to tell you today. And two, a lot of times what we as preachers, what we want to try to convey, what we want to try to impart to you, it just doesn't work apart from the Spirit of God in each of our own lives. Um, and so certainly pray this morning, uh, th- this portion here, in Luke chapter 18, we're going to be looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And um, the, the last verse of this portion, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so I would just challenge you this morning, as, as well as myself, is that we would humble ourselves this morning to hear God's word. Right? Um, too often our pride gets in the way of God speaking to us. And uh, certainly... Um, that is my prayer this morning, that, that we would humble our hearts this morning 
um, to hear uh, what God would have to say to us. But let's look at Luke chapter 18. Uh, we're just going to read 9 to 14. It says, also, this is the Lord Jesus now, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, before we even go on, I, I want us to understand something is that when we read a lot of times Pharisee, we think it's a bad guy. Right. And, and rightly so, for some reasons. Right. Um, certainly, Jesus calling out the Pharisees all the time. But I want you to understand something for someone who was listening to this parable. Right. Pharisee was a good guy. Hey, Pharisee was the one who was faithful to God. He was the one that was right with his wife. He was one that um, did all the right things. He knew the law. Right. When, when someone mentioned a Pharisee, this is someone who we would not mind walking by on the road. Hey, this is someone that you would look up to. Okay. Whereas the tax collector that we're going to hear in this story, he he's someone that you know really in today the only parallel I could have to a tax collector is like a pimp. It, it's someone that if you saw him, you would you would kind of be despised by him. You would you would turn the other way. You would not want to walk anywhere near him. And so I just want to make sure we kind of understand who these two people that, that Jesus is talking to him. He says, one is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. And in verse 11 it says, the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And it's as if he maybe he catches this man in the corner of his eye. As he's praying, he says, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast. Say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Um, let's just open in prayer. God, I would ask this morning that you would be merciful to me. Someone who is nothing more than a sinner. God, we're so thankful for your word. I would ask this morning that you would not allow this messenger to uh, inhibit at all the message that you had this morning. We pray this, that your son may be glorified. In his name, amen. Um, certainly, there are some that will uh, look at this portion, and uh, there's certainly a lesson here about pride. Uh, there's a lesson about looking down on others, comparing ourselves to others. Uh, but if you look at the context of this, 
Um, there's another parable that, that Jesus tells just before this. Uh, it's the parable of the persistent widow. And there in that parable, Jesus is really teaching them um, the need for prayer. He's trying to teach them um, that we need to pray. And then, and then you get into this portion here. Um, and, and here, what we're looking at is the nature of prayer. Um, how do we do it? Right? Um, it's interesting in, in this first parable, uh, in the first verse of Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus says, says something very interesting. He says, if we are praying, then we are not fainting. It says right there in verse 1. Uh, if you are praying, you are not fainting. And if we are, if we are fainting, then we aren't praying. Do you find times in your life um, that you feel dull, shallow, like everything is just surface, right? There's no depth to your spiritual life. Do you ever feel bored, like unchallenged, um, defeated? There are times in my own life I feel uh, discouraged. Right? I feel um, as I'm losing heart. At least according to this parable, uh, the beginning of this chapter, it would mean that I'm not praying. And you might say to yourself this morning, you say, well, John, I do pray. Um, I pray uh, 30 minutes every morning. I pray for 10 minutes every night. I, I pray with my spouse. I pray with my children. Um, I attend all the weekly or, or monthly prayer meetings. I, I do pray, but still, life to me feels not satisfying. I feel like I'm not really living. Or maybe you're one of those this morning who hang their heads when the subject of prayer comes up. In honesty, uh, we must say that we have a very little prayer life. Right? We find it hard going to prayer. In fact, we, we find it's easy to forget to pray or it's easy to just find something else to do, right? Wherever you're in this morning, I could if I wanted to this morning, right? I could tell you that you need to put more prayer in your life, right? And, and I could just bombard you with, with scriptures, right, on the necessity for prayer, Right? That you need more prayer in your life. And for some of you this morning, you might actually go away this morning. Resolve to put more prayer into your life. But it wouldn't be long, would it? Before you realize that that's not the answer. And that nothing has really changed. You see, scheduling more prayer time is not necessarily the answer. This parable here that we just read this morning, I'd like to say is the parable of two prayers. Not two prayers as in the actual prayers, but two people who are praying. Prayers. One who prays. 
right? It's a parable of two prayers. And it says right here in the beginning that two men went up to the temple to pray. To pray. Jesus, I believe in this parable, is telling us what real prayer is. Jesus shows us how we should pray. And the structure of this parable is very interesting. It's just like the last in that it's one of contrast. He's going to use two men who are going to pray and he's going to use them to contrast one another. And I'd like to look at that this morning. I want to look at the contrast between this Pharisee, a good man, right, and this tax collector. In the eyes of many at the time, a very bad man. Right? And how he uses these and to contrast one another, but also to teach us right, the nature of prayer. How we should pray. Because I know in my own life, and you may experience too, is that you could pray a lot. And it makes no difference. That perhaps the, the, the problem is, And certainly, I think this is why Jesus addressed it. Certainly, the the first issue here in this first parable is, listen, you need to pray, right? There's a reason why we should pray. But also, there's this whole uh, issue here with, listen, how do we pray? Right? What is the nature of our prayer supposed to be like? Um, In order for us to feel like, hey, listen, (laughs) there is some depth to my spiritual life, right? There's some effectiveness that I'm not losing heart. I'm not fainting. And so the first one I want to look at this morning is what we'll call the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. Um, this Pharisee that you see here, right, um, he was a man of prayer. Right? I mean, he frequently prays without ever a miss. He is someone who prays frequently. He's faithful in prayer. And we see here that when he goes in, he goes into the temple, right, which would have been um, the correct approach. And not only that, but it says that he stands, right, uh, in verse 11, he stood and prayed. And so um, this man assumed the correct posture for prayer. Uh, the Jews in that time, when they would come in, they would stand with their hands lifted and their eyes towards heaven to pray to God. And that was actually the correct posture for prayer. And it seems as if this Pharisee, uh, has the correct posture for prayer. He stood with his arms spread and his eyes lifted up to heaven. And of course, this was the prescribed posture for prayer. But we also see here that it was an issue of the heart, right? Um, the Pharisee, even though he was performing the prescribed posture for prayer, it seems as if certainly that there was something else that he wanted, right? He wanted um, people to see what he was doing. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and 5, it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When you pray... You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. My point is, though, is that this 
this Pharisee, right, when it came to the posture of prayer, was correct. Now, in contrast, is you have this tax collector um, who's not accustomed to praying, <laughs> clearly. Um, and, and you see here, he does not um, adhere to the correct posture of prayer. In fact, uh, it, first it says that he stands afar off. Now, there could be two reasons for that. One, it could be that he himself, as he enters into the temple, he probably feels completely unworthy to be praying next to such a godly man as a Pharisee that he kind of stands off to the side as not, to not bring any attention to himself, um, almost in a sense of shame. But I would imagine uh, that it's very true, too, that this Pharisee was the one that actually stood far from him. That as this tax collector came in, the, the, the Pharisee may have said, Hey, uh, you stay right over there, and I'm going to pray over here. Either way, but we see that this man is, is, is standing afar off. And it says that he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. Again, the correct posture was to raise your hands and to lift your eyes to God. And for this tax collector, he could not even lift his head. What's even more interesting, though, is that, and this gets me every time, he stood there and beat his chest. That was not the correct posture for prayer. In fact, it's interesting that if you study um, the culture of the Jews there, many times when you would beat your breast is because they, they believed that the heart um, was where your emotions were. And interestingly enough is the women were the ones who would beat their breasts. They would beat their chest to show the extreme sorrow that they were experiencing. Extreme distress. You never saw men do that. It was not custom for men to do that. In fact, this is the only time, apart from one other time, that it's recorded in Scripture that men beat their breast. The only other time that it's recorded is in Luke chapter 23, verse 48. The Lord Jesus Christ as he was hanging on the cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and breathe his last. And many of you are familiar with that portion with the centurion, right? Upon looking at how Jesus died, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. But the next verse, it says, there was a huge crowd of people that watched. And as they walked away from seeing what they just saw, they beat their breasts. I'm sure there were men in that crowd. Tremendous sorrow as they saw this righteous man suffer, humiliated, and die on a cross. And here we see this man, a tax collector, a bad man, understood who he was. And he beat his breast, he stood afar off, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. 
How important, I wonder, are the externals of prayer? How, how important is the posture of prayer? Sam Walter Foss wrote this clever poem. And it's, it's pretty funny, but it also is very profound. Um, he says this. He says, the proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. I just thought it was interesting, right? Because what do we teach our kids? We're like, every time when we were growing up, when you pray, you bow your head, you close your eyes, and you fold your hands. Like, why do we do that? Um, it seems to me his hands should be austerly clasped in front with both thumbs pointing towards the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year, I fell in Hitchkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pointing down. And I made a prayer Right then and there. The best prayer I ever said. The prayingest prayer I ever prayed. Standing on my head. How totally unimportant are these externals of prayer, aren't they? And yet we get so caught up in the externals of prayer and the posture of prayer. Jesus teaches us through this tax collector that that's not what's important. But the next thing he teaches us here is the primacy of prayer. This is the center of it right here. Again, in contrast, it's interesting here that the, the Pharisee, notice what he does here. It's amazing to me. In verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. <laughs> he actually is praying to himself. In the original language there, it's, that's, that's what he's saying. He's standing there and he's praying to himself. <laughs> My question to me is, uh, how do we get so well impressed with ourselves? How do we get there? How, how do we get to this point where we're so impressed with ourselves that like this Pharisee, we look down on our brothers and sisters. We look down on others. That's what happens. We get, we get so elevated and we get so prideful and we get so impressed with our own righteousness. And the result is we start to look down on others. Here's a Pharisee who's so impressed with himself that he's actually praying to himself. But not only that, he then continues, right? He's praying to himself and he, he's thankful that he's not like these other men. Extortioners and unjust, adulterers, this tax collector. Then he goes on, right? He wants to make sure God realizes, hey, listen, I fast twice a week. Now, is that impressive? It is, actually. They were supposed to fast once a year. This guy's doing twice a week. Man, that's, that's pretty impressive, right? Not only that, he... 
um, he tithes of all that he possesses. That wasn't required by the law. I mean, this guy's going above and beyond the law. Okay? Man, he should be impressed with himself. <laughs> Not really. So, why is it that sometimes we get so impressed with ourselves, right, that we look downward from ourselves towards others, and then why do we continually pray as if God owes us something? Right, we do it. God, listen, you know I've been serving you in Sunday school for 20 years now. All I ask is this one thing. Lord God, I've been faithful to you for all these years. So I just want to ask you one thing. We do that with God, don't we? Right? We feel like God owes us something. Because we've been faithful in the ministry. We've been faithful in our relationship with Him. Whatever it is that we put into our minds, we're so impressed with ourselves that we actually feel now in my prayer, God, listen, you owe me something. It's what we see here with this, this Pharisee. He's gotten to a point where he's praying as if God owes him something. Again, notice the contrast here. And this is the primacy of prayer. This tax collector, right? Again, just picture him standing off to the side, not even lifting his eyes to heaven, beating his breast. And he says, God, be merciful. Be merciful. That's a beautiful word that he uses here. Um, and in this word is, is all the beauties of the cross, uh, our redemption. Um, but you could actually translate this prayer as this. God, apply the atonement to me. Or you could actually say, God, turn your wrath from me. Or be propitiated to me. Or like this one here is, he's saying, God, having had your justice satisfied, Lord, show me your love. Man, this tax collector, he got it. <laughs> he understood that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that God's justice was satisfied. That God's wrath was put on him. That now God could show him his love. Again, I, just, I was listening recently uh, to someone. It was very interesting is that sometimes we do get a little mixed up with our theology. Right? We talk about our sins and we talk about how our sins were <clears throat> cast into the depths of the sea. Or our, our sins were put behind his back or... But that's not necessarily true, was it? The Bible says that our sins were placed on who? On Jesus. And Jesus was tossed into the depths of waters. Jesus was put behind God's back. It was Jesus that had to endure that. We think just arbitrarily sometimes our sins were just thrown over here. No. Jesus had to endure that judgment. And this tax collector understood that. He said, God, having had your justice now satisfied, show me your love.
Brothers and sisters, our help must be in God. That is the only way that we pray. As our help must be in God. Notice how this tax collector did not look for help anywhere else. He did not say, Lord, perhaps this Pharisee over here standing next to me can help me. No, he said, God, be merciful. So not only is it important for us to know that our help comes in God and God alone, but also, it's amazing, here's this tax collector who, again, I don't think he is uh, accustomed to praying, but he actually lays hold of what God said. I don't know where he heard it. I don't know where uh, he knows these things, but he's literally laying hold of what, what God says. God, be merciful, right? In other words, this tax collector believed him. He believed him. And that too is what prayer is, right? Prayer is more than asking, right? Prayer is taking. Prayer is more than just pleading. Prayer is believing. Prayer is more than just words that are uttered, right? Prayer is an attitude that is maintained. When we pray, it's because God's wrath, God's justice has been satisfied at the cross of Calvary. Jesus paid it all. And because of that, I can now take what God promises. I believe in what God says. Uh, This morning... We we're looking at the word amen, right? And uh, in 2 Corinthians, I think it's one, one twenty. It's a beautiful portion there where Paul says, listen, the message that I preach to you, which is the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it's not a yes or a no. <laughs> he goes, it is a yes. And in fact, he says, it is an amen. Amen. Okay. That is how we pray, knowing Right? Taking hold of what God says. It's not just about uttering words. It's not just about pleading and and asking for things. It's about believing. And it's about an attitude that we maintain when we pray. That's the primacy of prayer there. God, be merciful. But I love how this tax collector here, right? We see here the the personalization of prayer. Again, the contrast is interesting is that this this, uh, Pharisee, he initially starts with God, doesn't he? God, I thank you. But if you look at the rest of it, he never mentions God again. In fact, he mentions himself, I, five more times. Five times, I, I, I. Right? Reminds me of the uh, Lucifer. Right? In Isaiah chapter 14, five times he says, I will, I will, I will. But here's the contrast, right? Is uh, the Pharisee, it's interesting. He, the Pharisee in his prayer here, he uses six Greek words. Uh, the, the tax collector, I'm sorry, the tax collector. The Pharisee, he uses something like 28 Greek words in his prayer. All right, the tax collector. Just six words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
But he says, God, be merciful to me. <laughs> to me. If you cannot personalize prayer, if you can't go to God and believe in what he did for you, then perhaps that's why we lose heart. Perhaps that's why we faint. It's because we haven't personalized it. It's still just mere words for us. It's still just asking and pleading. It's not a reality in our lives. Um, I love Paul when he says there, right, that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. (laughs) But the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the one who loved me (laughs) and gave himself for me. For me. Not for us. Not for the church. Not for the world. Right? He gave himself for me. For me. The tax collector realized this. He says, God, be merciful to me. To me. And then the last one that we see here. Not only does Jesus tell us that the posture of prayer is not really what's important, right? That the primacy of prayer is, is that we recognize what Jesus did at Calvary for each and every one of us. That we can say, God, be merciful, right? And, and not only the personalization of prayer, that it's God, have mercy on me, right? But we see here the pauperism of prayer. You're like, John, you just made that word up. It's actually a word. We all know what a pauper is, right? But pauperism, pauperism is actually a state of extreme poverty or destitution. Why is that important in prayer? Well, again, look at the contrast here is um, this Pharisee, right? He's actually thanking God that he is not like other men. We've already said that he's, he's become impressed with himself to the point where he's looking downward from himself on others. Um, thinking as if maybe God even owes him something. Right? Um, but not the case with the tax collector. Right? He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's what's amazing about this, this word that he uses here. Right? Is that in the original language, right, he doesn't say a sinner. Right? He says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. <laughs> in other words, th- this tax collector is putting himself in his own class. He says, hey, God, listen, be merciful to me because I am the worst out of anyone. There is no one worse than me, God. I know you came to the world to save others, but I'm telling you right now that I am the sinner. I am the worst. Right? Again, Paul, right? Amazing that he would say, here's a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. That Christ Jesus is chief. Paul saying, I am the sinner. Just like this tax collector here, he says, I am the sinner. 
And isn't it, um, isn't that remarkable that he does not try to add anything by way of merit? Right? Notice what he does not say here. He does not say, God, be merciful to me, a penitent sinner. Was he penitent? Yes. This man is broken. This man is beating his breast. Right? He could have if he wanted to say, God, be merciful to me. I'm a penitent sinner. I'm sorrowful. I realize. But no, he doesn't even try to add any kind of merit to what he says. He does not say, God, be merciful to me, a reformed sinner. Was he going to be different from then on? I guarantee you he was. <laughs> I guarantee that that man was not the same after this day. But he didn't add that to his prayer either. God, be merciful to me, an honest sinner. Here I am, Lord, willing to tell you the whole thing. Surely God can't pass by honesty like that, right? No, he doesn't even add that. God, be merciful to me, a praying sinner. This man here, he casts it all away. He says, Lord, I haven't a thing to lean on but you. Nothing to lean on. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13 says this. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Psalm 138, verse 6 says this. For though the Lord is exalted... Yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Speaking of contrast in this parable, isn't it interesting, right? That, or the irony here is that while this Pharisee most likely kept his distance from the unsavory tax collector, God was keeping his distance from him. God keeps his distance from all who are like the self-righteous Pharisee. How did this tax collector come to this place? Right? How does he get to this point here? Exactly the reverse of the Pharisee. Right? He did not look down on someone else below him. He looked up to God. Stark contrast between these two. So the question I close with is this. And I ask in my own heart. Have I ever really prayed? Have I ever prayed? Because if it is true, what Jesus says, that prayer is the opposite of fainting. Then why do I find my life filled with fainting? Why do I find my life filled with losing heart, with discouragement, with defeat? Brothers and sisters, to me the obvious answer is this. I have not been really praying. For the two are incompatible. They cannot exist together. It is one or the other. 
Perhaps we've gotten to a point in our lives where we've become impressed with ourselves. Perhaps we've come to a point in our lives where we are actually looking down from ourselves and we think, hey, I'm not as bad as that person. I do a lot of these good things, so God owes me something. And when we come to God in prayer, it's just, it's just mere pleading and, and, and asking and, and just mere words. I think Jesus is trying to teach us here in this parable that there's a certain way that we are to pray. Have we ever really prayed? Have we ever really prayed? Our Father in heaven, I confess to you, perhaps my life um, is filled with uh, fainting, losing heart, and discouragement. Because I've never really prayed or I've forgotten how to pray. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen.